Good morning. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing our call to worship from Psalm 31. taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness deliver me and set me free. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Trust in you, O Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Leave the wicked to be put to shame. Let them go silently to shield. You are Strong 
This morning we have the privilege of participating together in the sacrament of baptism. And so I want to invite the, the Martin family to come forward. Uh, Josiah and Christina are bringing uh, their daughter Elise to be baptized. And before I ask uh, Josiah and Christina questions for parents, I just want to remind us all of what, what we're participating in, that in the the book of Acts, we see that the church right from the beginning proclaimed this good news, that the promise of Christ was for you and your children, that God said, I will be your God and the God of your children. And as a way of marking out what this God is like and what this God has done, Christ gave us the sacrament of baptism to show us that this is a God who can do what we cannot do, which is to wash us clean, to make us new to bring grace not just to our flesh, but to our very hearts. And so today, this is a special blessing for the Martins to remind them that this is a way to mark out Elise as part of the church community to receive this mark upon her, entrusting that by God and his spirit will bring newness to her heart. But it's also a blessing to all of us, for it's a chance for us to remember our own baptism, that who we are is not what we've accomplished or what we've promised to have done or what we've done in the past, but who we are is the grace of God for us, that God has made us new in Christ. If you're not been baptized in Christ, then today is an invitation to come and to receive this good news, that God is the one that can make you whole and make you new. 
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this water, and we pray that you'd set it apart for a special and holy use, that by your spirit you would dwell with us, and that this would lift all of us to see again who you are and the good news of Christ. We pray especially for Elise that it would be a, a promise that long before she's thinking of you, Lord, that you have made her and at work in her life through her family and church, and that by your spirit that she'll find great rest and hope in your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn this. Well, Josiah and Christine, let me ask these questions to you. Do you acknowledge your daughter Elisa's need for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you claim God's covenant promises on her behalf, and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus for her salvation as you do for your own? And do you now unreservedly dedicate Elise to God in promise and humble reliance upon God's grace that you'll set before her a godly example, that you'll pray with her and for her, and that you'll teach her the faith, and that you'll strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? And what is your daughter's full Christian name? This is Elise Jean Martin, daughter to Josiah and Christina, sister to Colin and Sophia. Elise is being brought to be baptized in the name of Christ. Elise, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. She's working on her pacifier. <laughs> Let's pray for, pray for Elise. Lord, we give you thanks. We thank you how this is clearly a gift from you, and we remember that all good gifts come from you. We thank you how Elise is a gift for her family and a gift for this church. And we do pray, Lord, that she would find great joy in your love for her, that she would know the, the rest and the peace of your abounding grace, and that by your spirit that you'd mark her, her days, that she'd be one who uses her gifts and strengths not just for herself, but for her neighbors in the name of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a way of acknowledging the role that we play in receiving her into the, the church community, I invite you all to stand. You'll see there is a, a responsive blessing in your order of worship, and I invite you to join together in this blessing, and then we can sing together. Elise Jean, may the Lord preserve your going out and your coming in. From this time forth and forevermore, amen. Let's join together in song and celebration.
Presidente. Let's pray together. Lord, we pause again and acknowledge that you are the one who has called us to gather in your presence. We remember that you are our creator and our redeemer, the one who brings new life and new purpose into our days. And we thank you that you don't call us simply as individuals, but have gathered us as a community, as a family, united to Christ and to one another. And so, Lord, as we come, we, we pray that your spirit would be with us, that we would be drawn to you to receive your truth and to walk in your grace. Lord, as we come this day, we, uh, we remember Bob and Susan Joyce. We, we especially remember them as they mourn the, the passing of Susan's mother. Lord, I pray for Susan and all her family that you would give them comfort in the midst of their mourning, that you would remind them of the hope of the resurrection and your spirit would work comfort in them. Lord, we also gather us those who are mindful of longing for things to be different, maybe in our family relationships or at our work or with our neighbors, having experienced loss or disconnection or separation. Lord, we come as people longing to be uh, led into new opportunities, new connections, to be people of peace, that there can be reconciliation in places of brokenness. Lord, we think about that not just for ourselves and our neighbors here, but we pray for that around the world. We give you thanks for the ceasefire and the release of hostages in Israel and Palestine. But Lord, we also remember the, the violence that's happening other places in the world, the warfare that's so common. And so we do pray for peace and justice, that by your spirit you would bring new ways of being. Lord, we give you thanks that you are the God of all things. Lord, as we gather this day, let us find hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, children are dismissed. There's children's worship, and there's also the fifth through eighth grade class. They can make their way to my right, uh, and they can make their way to their classrooms. Having been gathered in God's presence, uh, it is good for us to remember that God is different from us, that God is holy, and in his holiness, he invites us to come and to confess our sins individually and as a community. So we'll do this together um, by corporate prayer and by song, and then we'll have a time of personal confession as well. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Heavenly Father, you have promised to be for us a refuge, yet we are quick to forget your promise. In the face of uncertainties, we often seek to build our own strongholds or look for other shelters. May we hear your reassuring voice and remember your steadfast love. Amen. <laughs>
you to take a moment of quiet to bring your own personal confessions and needs to God.
Lord, we give you thanks that you hear us when we pray. We give you thanks for the invitation in Christ to come with honesty to your throne of grace, trusting that our forgiveness and our hope rests not in our own righteousness, but in the work of Christ for us. We give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me that we can say together and hear the words together of assurance. These come from Psalm 27. I invite you to join together. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet will I be confident. For the Lord will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Amen. Well, as Christ has welcomed us in his grace, I invite you to turn to one another and welcome each other in the name of Christ. Please be seated. 
The Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as of one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. The New Testament reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm thankful for a chance to worship with you today and to look at God's word together. Um, I was away the last couple Sundays. I'm thankful for a chance to visit some family, and but glad to be back uh, here and joining for worship. Um, this Sunday is the last Sunday of our fall uh, sermon series. You'll see a note in your order of worship, uh, the series uh, Known and Loved. Uh, next week, we'll begin the season of Advent, and we'll have a, a, a different series as we reflect on Christ's arrival and promise to come again. But this series, we've been talking about this, these promises that you are known and you are loved, that these are promises that God makes through the gospel of Christ. And that as part of this, we've explored passages from Genesis this fall to look at what we describe as the human story, what it means to be a human. Humans, all of us, are made to be seen, made to be known, made to live in connection with God, with ourselves, with others, with creation. And that we're all made to trust, to seek and receive help from others, those who see us. But that part of the story is that in our guilt and shame, all of us in some way have exchanged the hope of being known, the hope of being loved and welcomed and forgiven. We've exchanged that for some type of hiding, some type of managing of our appearance, of somehow putting forth our best foot. This is the human story, but God's story is different and as part of this series, we've looked at different New Testament passages to see the shape of this different story, to see how God's story gives shape, especially in the person of Christ, that God and Christ sets free those who are bound, that God forms new connection in places of separation, that God chooses those who have been forgotten or unchosen, and that God sees us and knows us. And today, in our last passage in the New Testament, we'll see that God in his love bears our shame. God in his love bears our shame. 
So let's look at this passage from Matthew 27. It is a passage right up to Jesus' death on the cross. You can follow in your order or in your Bible. This is Matthew 27, verse 27 through 44. Then the soldiers took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And they went out and they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry Jesus' cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their head and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. This is God's word given for our good. Well, this is a somber passage, uh, but what I hope we can see is something profound that God in Christ bears our shame. And as we look at our passage, I want to ask two questions to help us enter into this. And the first question is, is why is Jesus' death surrounded by mocking? Why is Jesus' death surrounded by mocking. And the second question we'll ask is, how is this shame part of the significance of the gospel? How is it part of the significance of the gospel? So let's start by asking, why is Jesus' death surrounded? Why does it include mocking? We just read, you saw that Matthew's account of Jesus' crucifixion is not just a description of an execution. It is an account that reveals the, the profound shame that falls on Jesus, that he enters and receives. We see this in the soldiers mocking him. He's accused of being king of the Jews, so they dress him up and pretend to salute him and kneel down before him. He's been arrested, rejected, beaten, and they know he'll be dead in a few hours. And maybe we can imagine in their mind, why not take this moment to underscore the ridiculous nature of this figure. Why not underscore how powerless he is? Why not tease him and show him what Roman soldiers think of other people's kings? Why not make it very clear who's really in control? 
And of course, it's not only the Roman soldiers that mock Jesus. Once he's on the cross, we see that passerbys do, but also the religious insiders mock him as well. The, the, the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and scribes and elders, they distance him, themselves from this failure, this one who's been cast among the rejected. They throw back into Jesus' face the very things that they've heard him say about the temple or about God's kingdom, or in particular about his own identity as God's son. It's in this moment of mocking, or I wonder, maybe you've wondered this too, what was Jesus thinking about? I'm sure there was probably a number of things that he was thinking about, but I, I wonder if Jesus was remembering his baptism. You might recall at his baptism, he came up out of the, the Jordan, and God, his Father, announced over him, over Jesus, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved son. I am delighted in you. Jesus lived his whole life and his public ministry trusting these words, letting them be like a shelter over him. God, my heavenly Father, has indeed spoken these wonderful words over me. And in this intimate moment between Jesus and his heavenly Father, we see even just a, an insight into God's story and how it's different than the story of the world around us. And the, the profound reality that in Jesus, we too can receive such wonderful words that God says to us, you are my child. I'm delighted in you. I wonder if he had these things in mind, because throughout his life and ministry, Jesus, he faced temptations on a regular basis, faced pressures, was told by others to not trust his father's words about him. He was told not to trust them. Who do you think you are? Why are you saying such outlandish things, Jesus? Aren't you simply a carpenter's son from Nazareth? And here at the cross, these same type of demands to, to forget about what God said about you, the mockers say, if you really are God's son, why don't you do what you said? Destroy the temple and rebuild it. If you really are God's son, why don't you come down from the cross and step out of the shadow and the shame? If you really are God's son, why doesn't God do something to help you? Why is Jesus' death surrounded by mocking? It's a chance for us to, to recall that even before Jesus went to the cross, the, the Roman cross was laden with connotations of shame and outrage. It was a cultural symbol known wide and far that its purpose was to reject and to mock and to crush, to highlight the difference between physical suffering and what we could call social suffering. Those along the road watching Jesus, watching this other person carry his cross, they would have had every reason to doubt his guilt. A non-Roman in that day would not have had great confidence in the Roman justice but one watching him would have no doubt about the shame that he was feeling. There were many ways for the Roman legal system to practice capital punishment, but the cross was especially designed to mock 
and maximize shame. There was whipping and there was stripping of clothing. There was exposure to elements in placing out in public to be mocked by others. And it's because of this that in Philippians 2, the passage that we heard Romina read just a moment ago, it's when Paul was talking about our, the humble nature of Christ, he tells us that Jesus descended from the glory of heaven, taking on the f- flesh, and even died, died even on a cross. And what, what he was trying to say that in that context of the day, in the Roman context, there was no lower place to which Jesus could have descended. When Paul writes that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that this humbled himself doesn't fully capture maybe the force of the verb, that he was entering in or making himself available for complete rejection and disgrace. I'm not a, an art scholar, but, I, but I, I do know that in the art of history of art, that that. There's been a struggle about how do you depict Jesus on the cross? How do you show reverence for the Son of God, but also have the reality of what was happening? It's not an easy thing for an artist to pull together or know how to handle. There's a novel called The Idiot by Fyodor Dostoevsky in which this kind of problem is that part of the novel how do you talk about, how do you have a painting of Christ that's reverent, but also the reality? of what he experienced. And in this novel, there is a a painting from the 1500s called The Body of the Dead Christ. And one of the main characters sees this, and he is aghast because it is Jesus' body unceremonially presented. And the person asks in the novel, how could the women who buried him ever have believed that he would rise again? How could the woman who buried him ever believe that he would rise again? And the point that's being made is that they didn't. That Jesus' death was not symbolic, but he took on the fullness of human loss, the fullness of human brokenness. What I want us to see is that when Jesus stepped into the world, he intentionally journeyed to the lowest point. Why was his death surrounded by mocking? It's because when God stepped into the world, he stepped into the fullness of human pain, human loss, human sin. When God stepped into the world, he was mocked. And that reality brings a a, a response that we have to make, the response of saying, no way, there's no way the Lord of heaven and earth could experience such a thing. Or to say that if this is true, it realigns all the ways that we should think about ourselves in this world. That here is a God and a kingdom that does not reject the ashamed, does not overlook those who are less, does not overlook those who fall short of the world's evaluation, but actually joins them. For the cross forms a whole new type of community, one not of acceptance by the world, but one in which God joins us in our lowest places. So we've asked, why does it include mocking? 
for it points to what God is actually doing in Christ. And the second question we can ask then is why is this a significant part of the gospel? Why is this a significant part of the gospel? And what I want to, we can see is that this is not a mere accident, that Jesus didn't just kind of miscalculate things. But when he experienced this, when he went to the lowest place, the place of shame, he was fulfilling his very mission. What one author called his hidden secret purpose. To join with us at the lowest place. As our passage points out, condemned prisoners regularly had a placard placed above them on the cross, indicating their crime, why they were to be mocked or humiliated. And the Roman charge against Jesus is that he claimed to be the king of Israel. And the whole idea of this, from the governor down to the soldiers, was that this was laughable. This was laughable. But for Matthew's gospel, for what the scriptures proclaim, it is the sober truth. The crucifixion is the very means by which the anointed king establishes his kingdom. Jesus, the son of God, came to serve and redeem his people, and he was enthroned upon a cross. And so we can ask, why is that good news for us? Why is that a significant part of the gospel? One of the key parts of God's story, we think about how God's story is different, is this fascinating reality that what is true of Jesus becomes true of his people. What is true of Jesus becomes true of his people. We share in Christ. And the language here is not that of a coach trying to cheering us on, but one who joins us. It's intimate language of connection and of union. When John Calvin was trying to describe this reality to us and why this was significant for the gospel, he uses the word engrafting. Just like I'm not a, an art historian, I'm also not a very good gardener. Maybe some of you are. But engrafting is this term from the plant world and this idea that a weaker plant is grafted to a stronger one. At the point of cuts, of incisions, two plants, plants are bound together the weaker plant drawing life from the stronger one and through their union at that incision point. And over time, the two plants become one. And John Calvin, when describing what God does for us in Christ, the, the union, why it's so significant, uses this image of engrafting to speak of our connection to Jesus. The Spirit stitches together the believer in Christ. The very wounds of Jesus are connected to the wounds that we bear as our place of union. Our wounds and his wounds are connected, his suffering and our suffering. We share and are united. God's kingdom is established. The gospel is so significant. God's story is told. When Jesus on the cross receives and identifies and bears our pain and sorrow, our guilt and shame. This is what was astonishingly promised in Isaiah. There we heard Teo read just a little while earlier. This shocking promise that the servant of God would be one who was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
one who would bear or be born with our griefs and carry our sorrows. And here's the, the, the part that goes on in Isaiah that we look down on him. We esteemed him not. We look down on him, but the fact is that it was our pains that he was carrying, our transgressions. So the thought was that we, people around mocked him because we thought it was he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our iniquity, our shame that did that to him that pierced him. He took our punishment and through his wounds we are healed. This is why Jesus bearing the lowest place on the cross is so significant to the gospel. He carries the fullness of the human experience of sorrow and of shame and of guilt and of grief. It's in those very points that he unites himself to us. Therefore, our story is not just ours, but now we're part of God's story in Christ. As we draw to a close, I, one of the themes that we see in the scriptures that's different between God and maybe how the human story goes is that in the human story, there is emphasis on hiding or on controlling, on manipulating, on presenting a certain appearance. But God continually tells us that he sees us. He sees us. He knows us. Jesus, the light of the world, shines light into the darkest corners, into the very places that we often want to stay hidden, that we want to ignore. And from one perspective, if you can follow me here, one perspective is that we want to keep things hidden. From that perspective, it makes sense that the world would be full of anger, full of bitterness towards the light that illuminates such things. It would make sense that the world would do its worst against Jesus, the one who continually acknowledges the darkness, who joins in the hurt and the fear and the sorrow, who is not content with hiding. And today, as we think about him bearing our shame, we too can turn away we too can learn how to be Christians who look a certain way or have our things all together. We too can see the cross and its ugliness as something to avoid, something that is too uncomfortable. Or we can receive the good news that there is one who bears our sorrow and our shame. One who knows us and loves us. Jesus, through, God through Jesus identifies with the shame that humans experience. Amazingly more than that, God does not just identify, but he bears it personally. He bears your shame, that you may lift your eyes, that you may stop covering your face and be seen by him. This is the good news of Christ. He received the mocking and the hatred, the shame, that we would be with him united forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are and for your good news. We pray this day that you would turn us from our dark corners and hiding to come and find the, the grace of your light, that we would be known and walk in new ways in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us and we'll sing together.
Almighty God, you have established us in Christ, and nothing can snatch us out of your hand. Help us rest in your faithfulness as we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of and might, heaven may be seated. <clears throat> well, having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. Christ gave us the sacrament, and we're invited to participate in it regularly 
as a way for us to remember the good news of the gospel. That our place at God's family meal is not because of what we have accomplished in the past or what we promised to do in the future. Our place at this meal from beginning to end is because of Christ's work for us, because of his righteous life and because of him bearing our shame and our guilt. That is the good news. To come and to sit at this table to receive these gifts are a gift from God for you. If you know of that grace, if you have know of your sin and turned from that and placed your hope in Christ, then come eat and drink. If you're a follower of Christ, come eat of this meal. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let this table be an invitation to you, a picture of what the kingdom of God is, a place in which those who are far off are brought home, those who are their heads bowed in shame are lifted by grace and forgiveness, those who are loved, even then they're seen fully. This is the good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table, and we pray that you set apart this bread and cup and that by your spirit you would nourish us. Lord, meet us here by your presence. Strengthen us that we may walk as your people, walking in the newness of life, offering grace and love to our neighbors, receiving one another as brothers and sisters. Lord, we ask that you'd be at work in us by your spirit to do this good thing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. On the night that he was portrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I invite you to come down the center aisle that you can receive the bread and the cup here at the table. I ask if you're able that you would hold the elements uh, until everyone's been served that we can eat and drink together as one family. After you receive them here at the table, you can go back to your seats on the side. If you're not participating in communion this morning, I still invite you to come forward. We're, we're glad that you're here. If you just put your arm across your chest, I can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward now and let us receive these gifts that God gives for his people.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let's eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let's drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing as God's people together. Lord Jesus Christ, give us peace and help us to trust you as we proclaim the mystery of faith. regular basis we have a time of prayer in our service and today uh, Charlie Greco one of our deacons is going to lead us you'll see a note in your order this time of uh, reflecting on Thanksgiving before God and so he'll lead us in a, a couple of seasons of prayer and have a time of quiet that you can offer your own prayers and there's a response that in your, you'll see in your order that we can uh, respond together asking God to hear us so Charlie come and come and lead us please Good morning. I'm very happy to have the opportunity to lead us all in prayer. There will be a uh, silence that follows each petition of prayer and um, just an opportunity for us to each individually offer our own thanks to the Lord. Dear Lord, come into our hearts and minds this morning. Lord, you are all-knowing, all-controlling, and all-love. Dear God, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your unconditional love. We thank you, Lord, for the relationships to one another that you have provided us, to our families, to our friends and neighbors, and to one another in this church. Lord, we thank you for this church and the opportunity to worship you with one another and within this community. Lord, we pray that you continue to give us the strength and your will to live in harmony and thanks with one another. Please take a moment to offer your own prayer of thanksgiving. Lord, in your mercy, Lord, dear God, we thank you for the mission of this church and for the people that sacrificed to help you carry that mission forward. We thank you, Lord, for the Friendship Center, for Hockey Ministries International and the love of the Globke family, for the mission's work of Matt and Aaron Henning and Will and Katie Laurie, and for the many others in this church who sacrificed their time and energy in doing your will and the benevolence of others. Lord, we give thanks and pray for our pastor, Chad, 
for the music ministry of Jody, for the leadership of this church in your ministry, and we ask you to give them your continued wisdom, your will, and your peace. Please take a moment to offer your own prayer of thanksgiving. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Thank you, Charlie, for leading us. We're going to continue worship uh, through a time of giving. And so invite the greeters to come forward. Uh, there'll be, uh, uh, <clears throat> sorry, a basket. You can put your communion cup in, a gray basket. And then there'll be a silver offering plate if you'd like to give a gift to the work of the church. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to reflect on God's generosity and, and make our offering to him. If you'd like to give a gift, you can also do that uh, through the church's website or by text. Uh, you'll see the information in your order. I just want to also take a moment to say welcome again, especially if you are uh, visiting. If you're maybe here for the baptism, we're really glad that you could be with us. Uh, there is a black um, information pad under the chair in the center aisle. If you're sitting in the center aisle, I invite you to pick that up. It's underneath the, your chair. Fill it out and pass it down so you can know who's, uh, who you're worshiping with today. Um, and if you'd like more information about the church, you can indicate it there, or you can stop by the back table uh, to fill out information there as well. A couple other things just to, to note. Um, I mentioned this at the beginning, but the season of Advent starts next Sunday. Uh, and one of the practices that we've had as a church is to invite uh, the, all the households of the church to have an Advent wreath with candles that you can uh, light as, and make your way through the kind of Advent journey. Uh, there are bags in the back table you can pick up. <clears throat> There's bags that have a wreath and candles and devotional. If you already have a wreath from past years and just need candles, there's a smaller bag with just candles and a devotional. So stop by uh, and grab that. <clears throat> if we run out, then make sure we'll have more next week. Don't worry. Um, but hopefully you can stop by and grab those uh, for your house. Um, last thing is that we have a time of coffee. And there's no bagels today, but there are some cookies. So if you want some cookies, you know, beans and bagels is closed this weekend. But if you want to stop by, get some coffee and bagels. It's in the hallway right behind me. I invite everybody to stay after uh, a chance to get to know each other and spend some time together following the service. Let's continue receiving our gifts uh, to the work of God and his church. Please rise for the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son.
Receive now God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Go in peace.